greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. And hopefully I'm coming through loud and clear. I don't have my usual equipment, um, but hopefully the, the sound is uh, good quality. And uh, what we're, we're up to Psalm 89. Uh, now this is the last Psalm of Book 3. So we will get into Psalm 89, but I will close um, Book 3 of the Psalms. And then for the next few weeks, I'll be tackling another book of the Bible. And then we'll come back to the Psalms and we'll tackle Book 4. Let's open with a word of prayer and then we can get into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we pause as we always do before our study uh, to seek your intervention and to seek your blessing. We pray, Father, that as we study your word, we will grow in wisdom, that we will grow in the fear of the Lord, and that you would order our steps, Father, according to your scriptures. We thank you, Father, and we ask your blessing. We ask this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So Psalm 89 and here we will look at verse 0, uh, the first introduction of the psalm. It's also a maskil, which is a psalm of instruction. And this one is of Ethan the Ezraite. Uh, last week when we were in Psalm 88, it was a, a maskil of Haman the Ezraite. This one is of Ethan the Ezraite. And he was also mentioned when we looked at 1 Kings uh, 4 in 1 Kings 4 verse 30 and Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt so this is how wise Solomon was and then listen to verse 31 for he was wiser than all men than Ethan the Ezraite so Ethan is mentioned even before Haman and uh, again these men would, would have been extremely wise men and then this young man Solomon comes along and his wisdom excels theirs. He was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Haman, and Shalcol, and Darda the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all nations round about. So we're going to have an instruction now from this very wise man, uh, Ethan the Ezraite. This is going to be a psalm about the covenant that God has with King David. And it's quite an interesting psalm. It's a long psalm. So we didn't have time to squeeze it into last week's presentation, but uh, we will just treat the psalm separately. Uh, it's 52 verses in all, and then we just have a few cross-references. Psalm 99 and verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. So the psalm is going to get a bit difficult later on, uh, almost like he's challenging God, like he's questioning God. But I think as it opens up here, and he says that he's going to sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, then again, we can, similar to the other psalm where uh, I think it was King David who said his foot nearly slipped. Or actually, I think it was um, not King David, but um, his name just escaped me now, the, uh, the musician. Uh, his name just escaped me, a senior moment. Um, but he started off the psalm saying that, uh, his foot had nearly slipped when he was looking at the wicked and how prosperous they were. But the way he introduced the psalm, we knew that whatever came later in the psalm, uh, we knew that he was, he was right with God. And in the same way, with the way this verse begins, or the way this psalm begins, we know that um, uh, he, he is right with God, that, that, that Ethan, his, his, his perspective is correct. So later on when we come to the challenging verses, let's remember this that uh, Ethan will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. This is the, the chesed, the, 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 the loving kindness of God, the covenant love of God. He understands, and as we've been going through the Psalms, the chesed, or the chesed of God, uh, of Jehovah, is so clear that the, the, the Psalms wouldn't make no sense if, if, they were, if we did not understand that they're structured around the chesed. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. He is so overwhelmed by this mercy. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. And again, let's really cement this in our minds later when we get to later on in the psalm. It almost sounds like he's questioning God's faithfulness, but he's not. And we know he's not because of the way he establishes the introduction that he's going to sing of the mercy of God forever. And he's going to make known God's faithfulness to all generations. So God is, is, is faithful to his covenant. For I have said, and, and now God is speaking, 
For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. So now God's faithfulness is in the heavens, uh, and, and, and this faithfulness is established. It, it, it's forever. God is faithful to his covenant. And again, last week we were in Hebrews 6. Let's return there again just to understand just how rock solid God's faithfulness is and that we can depend on God's faithfulness. We're in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So he put the oath on top of the promise that by these two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie that is God would never lie in a promise and God would never lie in an oath. So both the promise and the oath are immutable. And now it's by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie that we can have strong comfort, strong consolation, strong confidence who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So these Hebrews were in under intense persecution. Uh, it was an existential threat. Hebrews were being slaughtered. They were being murdered. And yet, in all of this, they could have strong consolation. And we, by extension, who have been grafted into this covenant, because of God's faithfulness, we can have strong consolation. And on the sermon on Sabbath, if you heard that, I quoted Christ, where he said, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your, your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give you good things, those of, those of you who ask? So ask, seek, uh, knock, ask, knock, seek, and you, you, you will receive, and you'll find. So the reason, he's, and then he says, you know, if you ask for a, a, a bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for an egg, he's not going to give you a, a, a serpent. So the persecution may seem like God is giving us evil, but he's not. He's preparing us for great glory. And God knows how to give us good things and, and be faithful to his covenant. So, so this, it's impossible for God to lie about his covenant. So therefore we can have strong confidence in the covenant. And again, um, Ethan says here that God's mercy shall be built up forever and his faithfulness will be established in the very heavens. It's even established in the heavens. So let's continue now in Psalm 89, verse 3. God says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. So the same way we saw that God swore an oath to Abraham, now we're seeing that he also swore an oath to David. And he's faithful. So the, this covenant and the conditions of this covenant are forever. God is faithful. I have made a covenant with my chosen. So he chose David. I have sworn unto David my servant. This is, this, this is what he has established. Your seed, David's seed, will I establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. That means as we go forward into eternity, the throne of David is forever. This, God has sworn this. The throne of David is forever. So I have to quote here Genesis 28 and verse 9, when we see that Esau went unto Ishmael and took unto the, the wives which he had, Mahalah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboath, to be his wife. So we see that Esau married into Ishmael. Uh, God chose Jacob over Esau. And he chose Isaac over Ishmael. So neither of these men, nor the seed that comes out of them, belongs to the covenant. And much to the chagrin of the Arab nations and those who follow them with this uh, made-up, uh, strange, concocted religion called Islam, which fundamentally has nothing to do with the Bible. It claims to come out of the Bible, but it has nothing to do with the Bible except to be anti-biblical, to be anti-Christian. So the claim that it's the same God that is the author of the Quran, as is the author of the Torah and the prophets and the Gospels, uh, we, we can't understand this claim. In fact, uh, Islam claims, Muhammad claimed, that he was good with Torah, that he was good with the Psalms, and that he was good with the Gospels. But this is information in the Psalms that it wasn't readily available. It wasn't like Noah's Ark. Everybody knew about Noah. 
everybody talks about you know Daniel in the lion's den uh, the, the, the Jews would have talked openly and the children would have talked openly about Adam and Eve so those stories or, or versions of those stories and, and the story about Joseph and, and Pharaoh those stories end up in the Quran a uh, very popular oral tradition of the time you, just by listening you would have picked up those stories and then put whatever twist you want on them but this story that God has sworn that David's throne is forever and that his faithfulness reaches up into the heavens that what he speaks into the heavens and the heavenly council that everybody in heaven knows that God never goes back on his word and that faithfulness extends into the earth and to Abraham and to the seed of Abraham and to David and to David's seed if you're just an Arab walking around listening in the marketplace what people say about religion this is not something people talk about often so this doesn't make it into the Quran and so Esau and Ishmael were rejected David is established and David's seed and his throne are established forever and God's faithfulness can never change and we can have strong consolation in this in verse 5 and the heavens shall praise your wonders O Lord your faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints so this faithfulness of God this, this attribute that God has that he is totally faithful to his word he is totally faithful to his promises he's totally faithful to his oaths that when he enters into a covenant he never goes back on this covenant this faithfulness reaches even into the heavens and the heavens shall praise God's wonders and his faithfulness in the congregation of the saints and this um, uh, saints we can automatically think of ourselves the church as the congregation of the saints but I think that would be a premature interpretation the focus here is that God's faithfulness is recognized in the heavens so that the heavens will praise his wonders and continuing the thought his faithfulness will be praised in the congregation of the saints so this congregation of the saints is actually in the heavens so so we don't we're not going back and forth between earth and heaven here the subject now is the heavens and he continues to continue this in verse 6 the praise will be in the congregation of the saints that are in heaven for who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord so so these beings that are in the heavens they are praising God's faithfulness and there's nobody like God even in the heavens so this congregation of the saints in verse 4 is speaking of saints in the heavens and that's not human beings who've died and gone to heaven these are angelic beings that are in heaven that, that congregate and that worship the Lord in heaven and worship him for his faithfulness for who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord or the Elohim these again these angelic beings and just to, to give them this, this uh, uh, title of being the sons um, these are angels and none of them none of them can be compared to Jehovah God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and again the, the, the location the geography remains in heaven so as much as he's feared on earth he is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints again the focal point the geographic focus is heaven and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him again these are those that are about him in heaven and we get some insight into who's there who are these saints when we read Revelation we get that we get a, a glimpse into the throne room in Revelation 5 and verse 11 and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels many not a few this is a huge congregation of saints I, I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders these are the beings that are in heaven that are praising God for his faithfulness and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands and among all of them none of them are like Jehovah he is high above all of them and they praised him for his faithfulness saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb 
that was slain to receive power because of his faithfulness. They, the, in the heavens, they acknowledge this incredible faithfulness of God. And, and they praise him for it. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So Ethan understands this and he's writing how, how God is greatly to be praised not just on earth but in the heaven as well. And there are many, many beings that congregate in heaven and that worship the Lord for his faithfulness. And he says, And the four beasts said, Amen. They even, they agreed. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. This is how great God is. He's not just, you know, the God of Israel on earth. You know, the way the, the um, worship system worked anciently is each geography had their God. And they worshipped their God and, and they believed that that God only had jurisdiction over that particular geography and once you crossed over you were in another God's jurisdiction uh, and Israel's God was different Israel's God had jurisdiction over the whole earth and now we're learning through, through Ethan that Israel's God is praised in the heavens and he's the creator of the whole universe and his character it, it, the, even the beings in heaven these mighty beings in heaven they are in awe of his character and in particular his faithfulness that he would leave heaven and come to earth and allow himself to be sacrificed and brutalized and sacrificed in order to not violate his law while at the same time not give up on his promise so he made a promise he made a covenant to Abraham that covenant was inherited by Israel Israel, would, Israel was a disaster but God would not allow himself to go back on his covenant so what did he do? He left heaven and allowed himself to be sacrificed in order to satisfy the righteous requirements of the covenant while at the same time redeeming his people Israel. And the angels in heaven are looking at this faithfulness and they're blown away by it. They can't help but praise and worship him. Psalm 89 and verse 8 O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto you? or to your faithfulness round about you. Now, listen to Isaiah in Isaiah 43 and verse 9 in terms of this awe that this God is unique because of his faithfulness. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is truth. So this, this is like a, a, a courtroom drama where all the nations, the Gentiles, have their gods and have uh, scriptures like Koran that they believe uh, justifies their brutal slaughter and human sacrifice. And now we come into the courtroom and God is saying, okay, explain to me where you get the justification for your evil acts. And, and let's see which God you're, that is instructing you to do these things. And let's compare that to my faithfulness. You, and then he turns to the, the tribe of Judah and says to Judah, you are my witnesses. You, you Jews who've been slaughtered because of my faithfulness to my covenant. You Jews who've been redeemed because of my faithfulness to my covenant. You Jews are my witnesses, says the Lord. And my servant whom I've chosen. That you may know and believe me. So you've got the scriptures. No, no other nation has these scriptures. You have the scriptures. You study the scriptures. And now notice how every single word that I have spoken has been fulfilled. You are my witnesses. That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. And in you coming to that understanding, you can now teach the nations. Before me there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me, there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved. So from anciently, God threw the word out there. This is what I'm going to do. 
And no matter what Satan does, no matter what the Gentile powers do, it just doesn't matter. Once God has spoken it, that's what's going to happen. So anciently, God declared from, from the beginning, he said, this is how it's going to happen. And we can read this in Deuteronomy. I have declared, and I've saved. So I, I said, this is how it's going to happen. So you Jews are my witnesses. And I have showed, when there was no strange God among you, therefore you are my witnesses. So Israel, unlike the other nations, had this purity of religion, had this pure relationship with God. And so they, there was a time in, in Israel's history and Judah's history where they were in true covenant love with God. And they understood that. And there was no, unlike the other nations that have these demonic influences over them and were worshipping these demons, Israel was not like that. Israel was established in, in covenant love with, with God. So there was a time when there was no strange God among them. Therefore, you are my witnesses. Nobody else. No one else can do this. Only the covenant people can stand up and say everything that God says is true and, and show the people the scriptures. And the Gentiles, everything that they did, oh, Assyrian, you thought you were being powerful? It says here that you're the rod of his anger. And we incurred this wrath upon ourselves. Oh, a Pharaoh, you thought you were doing wonders? You thought you were doing your own thing? No, God was using you so that he could establish us as a nation and show us his power. So... Judah in this time in this courtroom drama is going to be the witness for God and is going to be able to bring out the scriptures and say everything he says is true and the Gentiles are going to see everything he says is true and there's no God like, like Jehovah therefore you are my witnesses says the Lord that I period nobody else I am God yes before the day was I am he and there is none that can deliver out of my hand so when God punishes his people according to the covenant Nobody can stop that. And then when he chooses to save his people, according to the covenant, nobody can stop that. I will work, and who shall stop it? So, so, so God is going to do what God is going to do, and this is what makes him God. And so now, when we go back anciently, from the beginning, and we see right in Genesis 3, the prophecies were established with Adam and Eve, and, and uh, Satan, that right from the very beginning, God declared and so we have scripture, or the Jews will have scripture, that they can open up and show the nations how everything has unfolded exactly as God has declared. Now, you nations come forward with your nonsensical scriptures. Come forward with your justifications. And let's see this, this, this God that you serve, or you will all have to acknowledge you've been serving the wind. You've been serving idolatry. You've been serving vanity. There is only one God, and nobody can stop what he has declared to do. He says it again, continuing in Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. He's the Redeemer of Judah. He's the Redeemer of Israel. And everything has been declared from the beginning. The Holy One of Israel. That's who he is. He's the Holy One of Israel. He came from heaven to earth to be the Holy Representative of Israel and do what Israel could not do, even if it meant sacrificing himself in order to retain his faithfulness to his covenant. He's the Holy One of Israel. For your sake have I sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ship. So in this courtroom drama, Babylon will be there. Egypt will be there. Assyria will be there. All the enemies of Judah will be there. And God is going to be explaining to them how this was, or the Jews will be explaining to them how, on God's behalf how this was written from the beginning. Back to Psalm 89 how powerful God is uh, Ethan wants us to understand you rule the raging of the sea and I think all of us have seen these images of tidal waves and, and just you know uh, terrible storms at sea and God rules that when, when Christ was on earth he just stopped it he just quieted the storm when the waves thereof arise you still them and we see, we see Jesus do that we saw Jesus do that you have broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain so this sort of sea monster you have scattered your enemies with your strong arm nobody can stop God that's where he says earlier I declare it who will stop it the heavens are yours the earth also is yours as for the world and the fullness thereof you have founded them so God is not just this God of this little geographic spot he's the God of the universe 
The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. Amen. Nobody can stop God. Justice and judgment are the habitation of your throne. There's a lot of talk today about social justice. God is about justice. And this is what's about his throne. And this is what he's bringing is justice. Not some uh, Marxist agenda. Some, some way of manipulating rhetoric in order to fool people and deceive them and, and destroy them and oppress them. No, God is just about justice. Justice and judgment are the habitation of your throne. Mercy and truth shall go before your face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. So who are these people? Who knows the joyful sound? Only the covenant people and those grafted into the covenant. The joyful sound is only within the covenant. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. Gentiles cannot walk in the light of God's countenance. Only the covenant people of Israel can walk in the light of God's countenance. The Gentiles will come to the light of Israel, and they have to learn about God through Israel. And here we see, in terms of this beautiful sound in Isaiah again, Isaiah 52 and verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good news, that publishes peace, that brings tidings of good, that publishes salvation. Now this beautiful sound of the gospel, this beautiful sound of peace, who is he bringing it to? That says unto Zion, your God reigns. This is the good news. This is the gospel. That despite the uh, punishments the tribulation that must come down on Zion's head because of her unfaithfulness. We have good news. Because of, because of your unfaithfulness, this tribulation will come upon you. Because you are the covenant people. Because you entered into this covenant and the covenant has conditions. You will therefore face the consequences of your unfaithfulness. But because of God's faithfulness, you will also be relieved. That the tribulation is to drive you to your knees, to drive you into true repentance, so that God can in fact redeem you. And so your God in fact reigns. And there will be a courtroom drama where you will get to tell the nations about the covenant that you entered into with God and how faithful he is to that covenant, despite the unfaithfulness of Zion. Verse 16. In your name shall they rejoice all the day. In your name shall they rejoice all the day. And in your righteousness shall they be exalted. He's the Holy One of Israel. They're going to rejoice in the fact that he has attached himself to Israel and to nobody else. He'll be the God of Israel forever. For you are the glory of their strength. And in your favor our horn shall be exalted. For the Lord is our defense. And the Holy One of Israel is our King. This is the name that they will rejoice in. That God has attached himself to Israel. That God has covenanted with Israel. And no matter what the enemies of Israel try to do, in the end, because of God's attachment to Israel, because of his faithfulness to his covenant, in the end he will establish Israel because he in fact is the Holy One of Israel. And, and um, in Matthew 24, those who understand will preach this gospel. And Christ says in verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all Gentile nations for my name's sake. The Gentiles will hate this truth, that the good news is that God is returning to restore the kingdom to Israel. That God is exclusively the God of Israel. That Gentiles can only know God through Israel. This is going to drive them crazy, especially when they're trying to establish their own religion and their own God and their own rhetoric. And we're saying, no, none of that's true. No, no, sorry. The covenant is with Abraham, and it was inherited by Israel, and it's with nobody else. And within Israel, we now have the Davidic covenant, and that throne of David will be established forever. And Christ will sit on the throne of David forever. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts, and there's no, there's no wiggle room. There's no room for you. 
if you're not within the Israelite covenant, there's no room for you except that you repent and you accept and you worship the Holy One of Israel. This is going to drive the Gentiles wild with rage. But we can't back down. This is the good news. God is returning to establish the kingdom of Israel. Verse 19, Psalm 89. Then you speak in vision to your Holy One and said, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. So now, this is about the Davidic covenant and how God has exclusively chosen David. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Mine arm also shall strengthen him. So early we were praising the might of God's arm, and now we see that God's arm is going to strengthen David, which means nobody can stop this. And oops, this is a big oops for Islam, because this was not common knowledge. This was not spoken about in the marketplace, where Muhammad could listen in and through the oral tradition learn the stories. But if he's a prophet of God, how could he miss this? How could he miss this? That God's hand will establish, or God's arm will establish the hand of David, will establish the throne of David forever. Your enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And we see in Isaiah 60, when all of this comes to a conclusion, all those that afflict him will actually come and lick the dust of the Jews in great apology and sorrow and repentance and will acknowledge that God in fact is the God of Israel and Judah. And God says, And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. And certainly that was done historically, but also this is prophetic. And as God establishes the kingdom of Israel and comes to save Judah, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, Micah 5, as he comes to Matthew 24, as he comes to save Judah and save Israel, that all those that hate him, in fact, um, in, in Revelation chapter 1, he says that, in Matthew 24, that when Christ returns, the tribes of the earth shall mourn. The return of Jesus Christ is a terrible day for Gentiles. Why? Because they all hate Judah. They've all been working together to destroy and root out the name of Israel from the earth. Somebody has been preaching the gospel faithfully through all of this, and then Christ returns, and they realize that gospel message was in fact true. And all the tribes of the earth mourn. While Judah rejoices and says, this is our God, this is whom we've waited for, and that's exactly what Christ said in Matthew 23, I believe it's verse, uh, verses 35 to 37, where he says, you won't see me again until you shall say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That as Judah is being persecuted, and specifically Jerusalem is being destroyed, and, and great catastrophe, that that's when Christ returns to show himself strong on behalf of Judah. So he will beat down his foes before his face, and I think Zechariah 12 gives a great account of this. And plague them that hate him. And in Zechariah 14, all those that refuse to come and worship Christ and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles with the Jews, upon them shall be the plague. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Again, this is part of the good news, and we will be hated because of his name, but we understand the narrative, and this is what we preach. I will set his hand also in the sea, and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. So we know that Jesus Christ, in fact, is the true firstborn. But here in establishing David, he's like a type of Christ. And symbolically, he is a firstborn, as God establishes him as a type of Christ. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. So again, remember how this psalm opened up and how Ethan is, he's not confused. He knows that this covenant, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Israel, and now this covenant with David is forever. And he knows how faithful God is to the covenant. His seed also will I make to endure forever. 
and his throne as the days of heaven. God can never go back on his word. Ethan is saying, even in the heavens, all the mighty beings in heaven praise this God because of his faithfulness. Now, he goes on now to understand that his children may cause the covenant to be compromised. But God says this, If his children, that is the children of David, forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod. Again, he says Assyria is the rod of his anger. So if they do this, I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my chesed will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. This is amazing. This is amazing. Listen to what God says. No matter what they do, that's not going to change my faithfulness. Another oops for the Quran. Oops. God God has covenanted and he will not be unfaithful. Nevertheless, my chesed will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break. Whoa. There it is. There it is. That's what we suspected all along. And now God is saying it outright. You may break the covenant. Your children may break the covenant. I won't break it. In fact, your children can't even break the covenant. The covenant the covenant is unbreakable. All your children can do is activate the curse clauses within the covenant. So the fact that you're being destroyed, the fact that you're being scattered, the fact that you're being enslaved, the fact that your, 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 your women are being ravished, the fact that you're being plagued, all of these curses upon you are evidence that the covenant is still in place. Because God will not break the covenant. And so as much as all those curses are in place, that is actually proof that David will sit on his throne forever. That God will be the God of Israel forever. That the king will rise out of Judah forever. Because God doesn't... The, 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 the fact that you're, in, you're experiencing the curse clauses means the covenant is unbreakable. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. And this is how the Jews will be the witnesses. They'll be Jehovah's Witnesses. That at, at the end of time, when all the nations finally gather together, and, and we come to the conclusion of the matter, Judah and Israel will be able to say, God doesn't alter what comes out of his lips. He's faithful. Everything that he said he would do, he has done. We'll show you. Here are the scriptures. Here's what we did. Here's what he did. Here's what we did. Here's what he did. Here's what's written. Here's what he did. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Isaiah 46 and verse 10, he declares the end from the beginning. Nobody else can do this. Only the God of Israel declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel, my plans, my objectives shall stand. Nobody can stop me, and I will do all my pleasure. And it's his pleasure to give the kingdom to Israel. This is his pleasure, to fulfill his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Verse 35, Psalm 89. Similar to what we saw in Hebrews 6 with Abraham. Verse 35. Once have I sworn by my holiness, God swears by his holiness, that I will not lie unto David. David's throne is forever. His seed may go astray, but David's throne is forever. And God will not lie. He's sworn. He will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. So, a million years from now, the throne of David will still be established. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. So the throne of David will be a witness even in the heavens. Now, this is where we come to the difficult turning point in the psalm, where... It now, it now begins to sound like um, God is not faithful to his covenant, that Ethan has lost faith in God. But this is not true at all. 
Ethan is merely pointing out the consequences of the faithlessness of Israel and the faithlessness of Judah. These are the consequences. And, and the psalm now turns to a, a kind of a dark place and it ends on a heavy note. But the way that he opened it, we have to be able to read through the heaviness, go back to the Torah to understand what did God declare from the beginning. He declared the end from the beginning. And, and we see that he, he, he is going to be faithful to David, that David's throne is forever. So we have to walk by faith, not by sight. So let's get into the balance now of the psalm. Verse 38. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been angry with your anointed. You have made void the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges, so the things that would protect him, and you have brought his strongholds to ruin. All that pass by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. And by the way, all of the uh, tribe of Judah, which is in the country called Israel today, all of the neighbors are Islam. All that pass by the way spoil him. Zechariah 14, verses 1 to 3. He is a re reproach to his neighbors. You have set up the right hand of his adversary. So God is doing this. God is allowing the neighbors to be rich in oil, to have great wealth, to establish their strength, to establish military strength. God is the one who is allowing this because of the government. You have set up the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies to rejoice. And boy, do they rejoice when they get the upper hand. You have also turned the edge of his sword and have not made him to stand in the battle. You have made his glory to cease and cast his throne to the ground. The days of his youth have you shortened. You have covered him with shame. Selah. So if we pause and we think about this, has God done anything here that is outside of the covenant? Again, if I just contrast this with the Quran, where the God of the Quran uh, turns the Jews into apes and pigs because he was just angry with them. They, they were fishing on the Sabbath. So he turned them into apes and pigs. And so Muslims believe that some of the monkeys that you see today, these were actually Jews. These are the descendants of Jews because of the curse of Allah. But where is that in the Torah? And what kind of God is it that just gets angry one day and just because he's angry he turns them into apes and pigs? Just, just happened to be angry that day and that was the curse he thought of at the moment. Everything that we just read here in terms of the terrible curses upon his people, every single thing we can go back to Deuteronomy and see that God said, this is what will befall you if you're unfaithful. And then they are unfaithful and God does exactly what he says. He would be unfaithful if he didn't do those things. And in fact, Judah put him in a bind. Because, and all of Israel, all the tribes, 12 tribes put him in a bind because of their faithlessness their idolatry and their adultery and their utter faithlessness God had to then destroy them according to the covenant but if he destroys them according to the covenant and great uh, Satan and the demons take great joy in the destruction of the covenant people so they go all out but if he didn't destroy them according to the covenant then he would be a liar but if he destroys them according to the covenant, he would also be a liar because he promised Abraham that his seed would endure forever. He promised Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed by his seed. But at the same time, through the Mosaic covenant, he promised Israel that if you break this covenant, if you break the conditions of the covenant, it will break you. So it creates this conundrum where to be faithful to his word, he has to destroy these people. But if he destroys these people, he's not being faithful to his word to Abraham. And this is why the Holy One of Israel had to leave heaven and come to earth and say, I'll do it. I will live by the covenant so that we can fulfill the promise that we made to Abraham. And at the same time, fulfill the curse clauses within the Mosaic covenant. I will take all of that upon me. And now if Israel will accept me as their savior, they can in fact inherit the promises through me by proxy. 
So this is in the, in the heavens. The, the angels in the heavens see this act of faithfulness to the point of destruction, self-destruction and self-sacrifice. They just praise him. And they say, who is worthy except the Lamb? So we have to read the despair in these latter verses of Psalm 89 in the context of God's faithfulness to the covenant. The curse clauses as well as the blessings. Then he says here in verse 6, How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Shall your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. So this is an intense period and it's coming again. This was, that was Whatever he was going through here when they were writing here was a dress rehearsal for a time of trouble the likes of which no nation has ever seen since the world began. But this nation is going to experience it. It's going to be particularly the time of Jacob's trouble. But because of God's faithfulness he shall be saved out of it. So it's not forever. But it feels like it. It's like, God, there's just no no help. Because they have to go to that dark hour of the soul. They have to go right down to the lowest point of the pit. Where Moses says, when you get to that point, and you finally truly repent, that's when God will show himself strong on your behalf. But you have to get to that point of authentic repentance. And that's what we're waiting for. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Isaiah 6 comes to mind where God says they'll be blind and deaf and not understand until the abomination that makes desolate. Shall your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. Wherefore have you made all men in vain? What man is he that lives and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. So he's seeing everybody dies. and what is, What's going to happen here? There, there are these outstanding promises, covenant promises, and yet the nation is being destroyed. Lord, where are your forming, former loving kindnesses? The cassette. The Psalms are all about the cassette. Where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore unto David in your truth? Where are they, Lord? It, 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 it's, a, it's a time of the complete absence, or so it seems the complete absence of God's kindness. This is a time of great tribulation, the likes of which the world has never seen. So what happened to the cassette? It's coming. But first God needs the repentance. Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people, wherewith your enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. And that's where the psalm ends, that they're just in a state of reproach. But Ethan says, Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. So there's a wisdom, there's an understanding that we pick up at the beginning of the psalm that we have to hold on to as we read into the back half of the psalm. And let me uh, just conclude with Deuteronomy 32 which I think that this part of the Torah really explains to us what's going on in Psalm 89, and particularly the back half of Psalm 89. Here we see in, Psalm, in Deuteronomy 32, and we'll just break in <coughs> excuse me, at verse 8. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, so remember he scattered the nations at the Tower of Babel, when he divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. So there's some relationship that God has in mind between the Gentile nations and Israel. And so as he's scattering them and numbering them, there's a design to it. Why? For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So God is coming to inherit Jacob. And then through Jacob have a relationship with all the nations of the earth. And then if we drop down to verse 15. So there's a lot of blessings in there for Jacob. But if we, if we drop down. Sorry. 
if we drop down to verse 15, I apologize for this. As I said, I'm not in my normal setup. So let me just see what I can do here. With my, give me one moment. This is what you would call a, a disaster. Okay. But we'll work through it. Hopefully this will hold on. I'll have to fix that for next week. I think we're okay now. I'm, I'm on the road. This I'm, I'm recording this. And I will be uh, on the road now for, uh, for about a month. Just dealing with some personal matters. And um, it requires me to travel a bit. And... I want to make sure that we don't miss these studies. So I apologize for that. I hope that we'll stay for the balance of the study. We're almost finished. Um, so we break in now at verse 15, and we see the problem. Verse 15, but Jeshurun, which is like a pet name, it's an intimate name for Israel. Yeah, this relationship that they benefited from as, as the model chosen nation, they waxed fat. They, they got arrogant and self-centered. Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. You are waxen fat. You are grown thick. You are covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. The nations are scattered. The nations are overtaken by demonic forces and principalities and powers that govern their geographies. But God governs over Zion. And, and, and Jeshurun was in this benefit, beneficial relationship and then just got self-centered and oh we're the holy people and waxed fat and became arrogant and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation and he said, verse 20 God responds to this now I will hide my face from them so that's why we see now in Psalm 89 he's saying, Lord how long will you forget your loving kindnesses forever? God, God, in response to what he sees, God says, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. And this is what God does. If you play with God, he's like, okay, have it your way. You want, you want to worship this? You want to chase after that? Go. Go ahead. God doesn't force you to stay with him. You don't want him, he doesn't want you. Go ahead. God wants you to realize the benefit of being in covenant with him. So he says, okay, let's see. I'll see what their end shall be. For they are a very froward, a very perverse generation. Children in whom is no faith. So God is full of faith. God is faithful, full of faithfulness. These people, they are not holding up their part of the covenant at all. They have no faith. Verse 21. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. So you saw in Psalm 89, it opens with, there's no God like this. Even in the heavens, all the mighty beings of the, in the heavens praise God. He's high above everything. And now these people who have the privilege of being in relationship with Jehovah, they treat him like he's nothing. And they provoke him to jealousy by that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So God is going to build up these enemies and give them great power. And then let's see what their end shall be. They shall, verse 24, they shall be burnt with hunger. These are the Israelites. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. So there's going to be a tribulation now. So this has been a cycle, but it, there's going to be a culmination. In fact, Christ said, I haven't come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've come to fill them to the full. So this final cycle is going to be to the full. It's going to be at a level that is unprecedented. He says, the sword without and terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. So we can see now from the Torah how Ethan is processing the reality of Israel's situation despite the fact, I should really say Judas more specifically, despite the fact that he opens 
with a very strong understanding of the covenant and God's eternal faithfulness to the covenant and to David in particular. So when we couple these two things together, we realize that this period of intense pain and tribulation that Judah must go through is not forever. That it's to drive them to repentance. In fact, why don't we just um, end at Deuteronomy just earlier, Deuteronomy 30. And I've read this uh, several times, but it's just it's one of those go-to scriptures that Moses said to them, it shall come to pass. When all these things, Deuteronomy 28 and 29, the blessings and the curses, when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. That was one of the curses, that you'd be scattered to all these nations. All these nations are supposed to come to you. But because of your unfaithfulness, I'm going to scatter you to these nations. And the, the, the demons and the principalities and powers that rule over them, you're going to be subjected to them. And you shall return, that, that when this comes to mind now, and, and you repent, and you shall return to the Lord your God, and shall obey his voice, according to all that I command you this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. This is what we have to now attach to the, the, the back half of Psalm 89 to marry it with the first half of Psalm 89. That in the end, all of this, the back half of Psalm 89, and the despair that Judah is experiencing is to bring them to this point. That when you, you uh, repent with all your heart and with all your soul, that then, that's when the Lord your God will end your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So Christ says that in Matthew 24. When he returns, he'll send his angels to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. If any of yours be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from there will the Lord your God gather you. God has not forgotten his covenant, not with Israel, not with Abraham, not with, uh, not with David. When God makes a covenant, that's it. He keeps his word. And from there will he fetch you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. And there you shall be his witnesses. When he gathers all the nations around, you will explain to the nations what happened. And you will be his witnesses. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. And he will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. He's not forgotten his covenant. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. This is the, the uh, new covenant that they'll enter into. And the heart of your seed. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord God will put all these curses, Deuteronomy 28 and 29, all these curses that you've, that you've uh, incurred, once you repent... And these Gentiles nations are going to be the ones cursing you. But once you repent, then God will put all these curses upon your enemies and on them that hate you, which persecuted you. And you shall return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you this day. So this is a great way to understand what Ethan uh, the Ezraite was seeing, but he didn't quite explain it. That it takes a bit of wisdom, a bit of understanding to couple his strong declaration of God's faithfulness with his abandonment of Judah in Psalm 89. So that's how uh, book three of the Psalms ends. Uh, so we, will, we ourselves will end there. And um, as I mentioned, I am um, traveling over the next month, but we'll continue to do these studies. So God willing, next week, we'll pick up a different book and we'll continue with the study. When I do get back, God willing, and at the end of the month, uh, the end of November, uh, Pastor Murray and I will then do a live um, uh, study where we can have some live Q&A, some interaction about the contents of what we've studied so far. So brethren, that was um, Psalm 89, and that's the end of Book 3. Um, God willing, when we come together next week, we will have uh, a new book to study together. God bless.